Volume One, Chapter Four of the Marble Faun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Faun by Nathaniel Hawthorne, Volume One, Chapter Four, The Spectre of the Catacomb surely she cannot be lost exclaimed kenyon it's but a moment since she was speaking no no said hilda in great alarm she was behind us all and it is a long while since we have heard her voice torches torches cried donatello desperately i will seek her be the darkness ever so dismal but the guide held him back and assured them all that there was no possibility of assisting their lost companion unless by shouting at the very top of their voices as the sound would go very far along these close and narrow passages there was a fair probability that miriam might hear the call and be able to retrace her steps accordingly they all kenyon with his bass voice donatello with his tenor the guide with that high and hard italian cry which makes the streets of rome so resonant and hilda with her slender scream piercing farther than the united uproar of the rest began to shriek hallo and bellow with the utmost force of their lungs and not to prolong the reader's suspense for we do not particularly seek to interest him in this scene telling it only on account of the trouble and strange entanglement which followed they soon heard a responsive call in a female voice it was the signorina cried donatelli joyfully yes it was certainly dear miriam's voice said hilda and here she comes thank heaven thank heaven the figure of their friend was now discernible by her own torchlight approaching out of one of the cavernous passages miriam came forward but not with the eagerness and tremulous joy of a fearful girl just rescued from a labyrinth of gloomy mystery she made no immediate response to their inquiries and tumultuous congratulations and as they afterwards remembered there was something absorbed thoughtful and self-concentrated in her deportment she looked pale as well she might and held her torch with a nervous grasp the tremor of which was seen in the irregular twinkling of the flame this last was the chief perceptible sign of any recent agitation or alarm dearest dearest miriam exclaimed hilda throwing her arms about her friend where have you been straying from us blessed be providence which has rescued you out of that miserable darkness hush dear hilda whispered miriam with a strange little laugh are you quite sure that it was heaven's guidance which brought me back if so it was by an odd messenger as you will confess see there he stands startled at miriam's words and manner hilda gazed into the duskiness whither she pointed and there beheld a figure standing just on the doubtful limit of obscurity at the threshold of the small illuminated chapel kenyon discerned him at the same instant and drew nearer with his torch although the guide attempted to dissuade him 
averring that once beyond that consecrated precincts of the chapel the apparition would have power to tear him limb from limb it struck the sculptor however when he afterwards recurred to these circumstances that the guide manifested no such apprehension on his own account as he professed on behalf of others for he kept pace with kenyon as the latter approached the figure though still endeavouring to restrain him in fine they both drew near enough to get as good a view of the spectre as the smoky light of their torches struggling with the massive gloom could supply the stranger was of exceedingly picturesque and even melodramatic aspect he was clad in a voluminous cloak that seemed to be made of buffalo's hide and a pair of those goatskin breeches with the hair outward which are still commonly worn by the peasants of the roman campagna in this garb they looked like antique satyrs and in truth the spectre of the catacomb might have represented the last survivor of that vanished race hiding himself in sepulchral gloom and mourning over his lost life of woods and streams furthermore he had on a broad-brimmed conical hat beneath the shadow of which a wild visage was indistinctly seen floating away as it were into a dusky wilderness of moustache and beard his eyes winked and turned uneasily from the torches like a creature to whom midnight would be more congenial than noonday on the whole the spectre might have made a considerable impression on the sculptor's nerves only that he was in the habit of observing similar figures almost every day reclining on the spanish steps and waiting for some artist to invite them within the magic realm of picture nor even thus familiarized with the stranger's peculiarities of appearance could kenyon help wondering to see such a personage shaping himself so suddenly out of the void darkness of the catacomb what are you said the sculptor advancing his torch nearer and how long have you been wandering here a thousand and five hundred years muttered the guide loud enough to be heard by all the party it is the old pagan phantom that i told you of who sought to betray the blessed saints yes it is a phantom cried donatello with a shudder ah dearest signorina what a fearful thing has beset you in those dark corridors nonsense donatello said the sculptor the man is no more a phantom than yourself the only marvel is how he comes to be hiding himself in the catacomb possibly our guide might solve the riddle the spectre himself here settled the point of his tangibility at all events and physical substance by approaching a step nearer and laying his hand on kenyon's arm inquire not what i am nor wherefore i abide in the darkness said he in a hoarse harsh voice as if a great deal of damp were clustering in his throat henceforth i am nothing but a shadow behind her footsteps she came to me when i sought her not she has called me forth and must abide the consequences of my reappearance in the world holy virgin i wish the signorina joy of her prize said the guide half to himself and in any case the catacomb is well rid of him we need follow the scene no further 
so much is essential to the subsequent narrative that during the short period while astray in those tortuous passages miriam had encountered an unknown man and led him forth with her or was guided back by him first into the torchlight thence into the sunshine it was the further singularity of this affair that the connection thus briefly and casually formed did not terminate with the incident that gave it birth as if her service to him or his service to her whichever it might be had given him an indefeasible claim on miriam's regard and protection the spectre of the catacomb never long allowed her to lose sight of him from that day forward he haunted her footsteps with more than the customary persistency of italian mendicants when once they have recognized a benefactor for days together it is true he occasionally vanished but always reappeared gliding after her through the narrow streets or climbing the hundred steps of her staircase and sitting at her threshold being often admitted to her studio he left his features or some shadow or reminiscence of them in many of her sketches and pictures the moral atmosphere of these productions was thereby so influenced that rival painters pronounced it a case of hopeless mannerism which would destroy all miriam's prospects of true excellence in art the story of this adventure spread abroad and made its way beyond the usual gossip of the forestieri even into italian circles where enhanced by a still potent spirit of superstition it grew far more wonderful than as above recounted thence it came back among the anglo-saxons and was communicated to the german artists who so richly supplied it with romantic ornaments and excrescences after their fashion that it became a fantasy worthy of tick or hoffman for nobody has any conscience about adding to the improbabilities of a marvellous tale the most reasonable version of the incident that could anywise be rendered acceptable to the auditors was substantially the one suggested by the guide of the catacomb in his allusion to the legend of memius this man or demon or man-demon was a spy during the persecutions of the early christians probably under the emperor diocletian and penetrated into the catacomb of st calixtus with the malignant purpose of tracing out the hiding-places of the refugees but while he stole craftily through those dark corridors he chanced to come upon a little chapel where tapers were burning before an altar and a crucifix and a priest was in the performance of his sacred office by divine indulgence there was a single moment's grace allowed to memius during which had he been capable of christian faith and love he might have knelt before the cross and received the holy light into his soul and so have been blessed for ever but he resisted the sacred impulse as soon therefore as that one moment had glided by the light of the consecrated tapers which represent all truth bewildered the wretched man with everlasting error and the blessed cross itself was stamped as a seal upon his heart so that it should never open to receive conviction 
Thenceforth this heathen Memmius has haunted the wide and dreary precincts of the catacomb, seeking, as some say, to beguile new victims into his own misery, but, according to other statements, endeavouring to prevail on any unwary visitor to take him by the hand and guide him out into the daylight. Should his wiles and entreaties take effect, however, the man-demon would remain only a little while above ground. He would gratify his fiendish malignity by perpetrating signal mischief on his benefactor, and perhaps bringing some old pestilence or other forgotten and long-buried evil on society, or possibly teaching the modern world some decayed and dusty kind of crime which the antique Romans knew, and then would hasten back to the catacomb, which after so long haunting it has grown his most congenial home. Miriam herself with her chosen friends, the sculptor and the gentle Hilda, often laughed at the monstrous fictions that had gone abroad in reference to her adventure. Her two confidants, for such they were on all ordinary subjects, had not failed to ask an explanation of the mystery, since undeniably a mystery there was, and one sufficiently perplexing in itself, without any help from the imaginative faculty and sometimes responding to their inquiries with a melancholy sort of playfulness, Miriam let her fancy run off into wilder fables than any which German ingenuity or Italian superstition had contrived. For example, with a strange air of seriousness over all her face, only belied by a laughing gleam in her dark eyes, she would aver that the spectre, who had been an artist in his mortal lifetime, had promised to teach her a long-lost but invaluable secret of old Roman fresco-painting. The knowledge of this process would place Miriam at the head of modern art, the sole condition being agreed upon that she should return with him into his sightless gloom, after enriching a certain extent of stuccoed wall with the most brilliant and lovely designs and what true votary of art would not purchase unrivalled excellence even at so vast a sacrifice or if her friend still solicited a sober account miriam replied that meeting the old infidel in one of the dismal passages of the catacomb she had entered into controversy with him hoping to achieve the glory and satisfaction of converting him to the christian faith for the sake of so excellent a result she had even staked her own salvation against his binding herself to accompany him back into his penal gloom if within a twelve-month's space she should not have convinced him of the errors through which he had so long drooped and stumbled but alas up to the present time the controversy had gone direfully in favour of the man-demon and miriam as she whispered in hilda's ear had awful forebodings that in a few more months she must take an eternal farewell of the sun it was somewhat remarkable that all her romantic fantasies arrived at this self-same dreary termination it appeared impossible for her even to imagine any other than a disastrous result from her connection with her ill-omened attendant this singularity might have meant nothing, however, had it not suggested a despondent state of mind, 
which was likewise indicated by many other tokens. Miriam's friends had no difficulty in perceiving that, in one way or another, her happiness was very seriously compromised. Her spirits were often depressed into deep melancholy. If ever she was gay, it was seldom with a healthy cheerfulness. She grew moody, moreover, and subject to fits of passionate ill-temper, which usually wrecked itself on the heads of those who loved her best. Not that Miriam's indifferent acquaintances were safe from similar outbreaks of her displeasure, especially if they ventured upon any allusion to the model. In such cases they were left with little disposition to renew the subject, but inclined, on the other hand, to interpret the whole matter as much to her discredit as the least favourable colouring of the facts would allow. It may occur to the reader that there was really no demand for so much rumour and speculation in regard to an incident, which might well enough have been explained without going many steps beyond the limits of probability. The spectre might have been merely a Roman beggar, whose fraternity often harbour in stranger shelters than the catacombs, or one of those pilgrims, who still journey from remote countries to kneel and worship at the holy sites, among which these haunts of the early Christians are esteemed especially sacred. Or, as was perhaps a more plausible theory, he might be a thief of the city, a robber of the Campagna, a political offender, or an assassin, with blood upon his hand, whom the negligence or connivance of the police allowed to take refuge in those subterranean fastnesses, where such outlaws have been accustomed to hide themselves from a far antiquity downward. Or he might have been a lunatic, fleeing instinctively from man, and making it his dark pleasure to dwell among the tombs, like him whose awful cry echoes afar to us from scripture times. And as for the stranger's attaching himself so devotedly to Miriam, her personal magnetism might be allowed a certain weight in the explanation. For what remains, his pertinacity need not seem so very singular to those who consider how slight a link serves to connect these vagabonds of idle Italy with any person that may have the ill-hap to bestow charity or be otherwise serviceable to them or betray the slightest interest in their fortunes. Thus little would remain to be accounted for, except for the deportment of Miriam herself, her reserve, her brooding melancholy, her petulance, and moody passion. If generously interpreted, even these morbid symptoms might have sufficient cause in the stimulating and exhaustive influences of imaginative art exercised by a delicate young woman in the nervous and unwholesome atmosphere of rome such at least was the view of the case which hilda and kenyon endeavoured to impress on their own minds and impart to those whom their opinions might influence one of miriam's friends took the matter sadly to heart this was the young italian donatello as we have seen had been an eye-witness of the stranger's first appearance and had ever since nourished a singular prejudice against the mysterious, dusky, death-scented apparition. It resembled not so much a human dislike or hatred 
as one of those instinctive unreasoning antipathies which the lower animals sometimes display and which generally prove more trustworthy than the acutest insight into character the shadow of the model always flung into the light which miriam diffused around her caused no slight trouble to donatello yet he was of a nature so remarkably genial and joyous so simply happy that he might well afford to have something subtracted from his comfort and make tolerable shift to live upon what remained End of chapter four of volume one read by Lars Rolander